The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Abraham Lincoln is the most written about president in American history. Not written about just with words, however, but also with musical notes. Since his death, the 16th president has been the subject of numerous musical tributes, compositions that tell us as much about the eras that produced them as they do about Lincoln himself. We'll hear excerpts from a few of these pieces and find out what they mean from Professor Thomas Kernan, author of an award-winning doctoral dissertation, Sounding the Mystic Chords of Memory, Musical Memorials for Abraham Lincoln, 1865-2009. to That's tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the Brewster Building. Third floor, A-Wing, East Carolina University campus in Greenville, North Carolina. Not speaking for ECU or for the UNC system or for its newly installed president or anyone else, just myself. And likewise, our guest will only speak for himself the way we always do on Civil War Talk Radio. It is the last show before spring break, the middle of the first 
semester, the uh, spring semester of 2016. Campus is not yet deserted. It's only Wednesday night, but uh, Thursday classes will be noticeably smaller, and Friday my voice will echo through the hall uh, as students have will abandon, well, not all of them, I shouldn't say that. Uh, there will be some there, and they will be justly rewarded for their perseverance. Uh, and some will stay to watch ECU baseball. The season has just begun, and after at the, we're concluding a dismal basketball season here uh, for the Pirates, but the baseball team started out by beating the national champions, defending national champions Virginia in a series, uh, two games to one, and uh, looking good, so we'll we'll follow that. Otherwise, a uh, relatively quiet week on campus, but there's always something entertaining uh, in higher education. This week, the faculty senate is trying to work out a new form for volunteers. If you want to come to ECU and volunteer, perhaps be a judge for our History Day programs, we can always use more judges for that. It's early in uh, early in April, I believe, this year. The faculty senate, I don't know who wrote this form, whether it was some professors who thought they were lawyers or some university attorneys who forgot that these are aimed at people working with professors, but it's a a sort of parody of bad lawyering and bad academia mixed into one. People are coming here to volunteer and be helpful, and then they're handed this, uh, if the form were to be approved, handed this giant form full of boilerplate language and, and uh, fine print that no one would read, telling them all the things that ECU will not do for them and insisting that they do not have a job with us even if they volunteer here, and then finally telling them all the things they can't do. Concluding with my favorite, favorite paragraph, uh, the last one says, I promise not to deface or defraud or manipulate any documents or take any money and just various crimes are listed and i just thought if, if we're going to go that far let's make the document complete let's add a paragraph i will not kill anybody and set his or her corpse on fire while on campus uh, list all the possible crimes someone might commit and have them promise not to do any because if someone promises not to commit a crime then of course they can't do so afterwards uh, so it's very effective I'm hoping they would just scrap the whole thing and just have a volunteer form that says, thank you for volunteering at East Carolina University. Well, I got to volunteer today to work with the uh, Lifelong Learning Program, and it was a pleasure talking with them. We've had a tough time running our Lincoln program this season. The first week, gas leak at the library caused us to cancel. Uh, Third week out of three, we had uh, tornadoes here on campus last week, and or close to it. And so they canceled everything that day. But we got back together. We're, we're back on track talking about Lincoln there. And that's what we'll be doing tonight. Uh, we will not be doing it next week. Uh, it is spring break here at East Carolina University. No classes next week. So uh, no, uh, no show next week. I'll be visiting with uh, the show's number one fan, uh, my mother uh, up in the Detroit area, and she will be giving me some detailed critiques on past shows. I'm, I'm certain that will help the show continue to improve in the future and uh, maybe give some suggestions for future shows, of which we have many, and they're all good. Next week, spring break. The following week, Chuck Veet returns to the show. 
with a interesting exploration into the invention of a rocket-powered torpedo during the Civil War that no one else seems to know anything about. I'm looking forward to reading this and learning more about it. On March 23rd, Martha Hodes will join us with her book on Morning Lincoln, which ties into a theme we'll discuss tonight. Then on the 30th, a rare excursion into historical fiction, a novel titled Broken Promises by Elizabeth Cobbs Hoffman. It takes American foreign policy during the Civil War as its central theme. And finally, uh, for now, at least April 6th, Sheridan R. Butch Berenger will be with us. He's the author of Fighting for General Lee, Confederate General Rufus Berenger, and the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade. I suspect it's more than coincidence. They have the same name, and we'll find out all about that. Before then, uh, if you're not doing anything over your spring break, if you're fortunate enough to get one, Dave Powell is leading his annual tour of Chickamauga, March 11th and 12th. Go to chickamaugablog.wordpress.com and learn about that. I don't know if it's too late to sign up, but uh, I just like to promote interesting programs. And it's definitely not too late to sign up for This Hallowed Ground, the tour by the Stephen Ambrose Historical uh, Travel Company. That's May 21 through 29. I was just talking today with... Uh, one of the directors there. We're planning all kinds of interesting things and hope you can join us. Uh, I'm looking forward to being the historical resource person, the tour guide on that trip. So contact Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours coming along with us on a fascinating bus tour. You can learn about all these things and more from the Facebook page, Impediments of War, or the webpage impedimentsofwar.org and you can also donate to the show by clicking the PayPal button at impedimentsofwar.org the donations are not tax deductible do not gain you any karma points will not be registered in heaven they will simply give me more money with which to buy books for the show or conceivably uh more recreational beverages to drink while reading the books that I get for the show. I can do anything I want with it because it's not tax deductible. I'll declare it on my taxes so we're not cheating anyone. But uh, feel free to contribute. It's always welcome. And uh, also goes to help support the website itself, which does have some out-of-pocket costs. So we do appreciate those donations. Well, today we're going to talk about the uh, musical legacy of Abraham Lincoln Uh, Lincoln not thought of as one of the more musical presidents, but uh, Lincoln may not be interested in music, but music is interested in him. And to learn more about this, we'll be talking with Professor Thomas Kernan of Roosevelt University in Chicago. Uh, Professor Kernan, are you there? I am. Glad to be here, Jerry. Well, Tom, welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. I saw in the Chicago Tribune a story that your dissertation on uh, tonight's topic won the Hey Nicolay Prize from the Abraham Lincoln Association given annually to the best doctoral dissertation dealing with a Lincoln-related topic. And uh, many years ago, I was on the prize committee that helped award those, and it was interesting to see what topics people chose. But it was, uh, there were some really outstanding entries uh, the year I judged it, and I'm sure there were this year. So, uh, congratulations to you on that victory. 
Thank you. And yeah, certainly a tremendous honor. I know the quality of Lincoln scholarship across the board. So I'm grateful to the Abraham Lincoln Association and the Abraham Lincoln Institute and certainly all the support as a music scholar. I've gotten a lot of support from Lincoln scholars along the way. So I'm very grateful to the community. Did you go to the the banquet in Springfield this year for that? I did. Yes, I was there. And how was it? Uh, it was wonderful. It was really, again, as someone who spends a lot of time working with musicians and performers and composers, which is uh, an absolute joy, it's also nice to have some time with historians, and especially Lincoln historians and Lincoln enthusiasts, to talk about the man who's who I'm spending a lot of time dealing with and writing about. So tell me about your background. You're in... Uh, so your field is... Um, Music history, musicology, what, what, uh, where, <laughs> yeah, where do you we, fit in? Sure. I'm, I'm a musicologist. That's my PhD was in musicology, mm-hmm. though I did a, a fair amount of American history course study when I worked on my PhD in order to have something of an entryway into this topic once I sort of decided what it was that I was writing about. Um, but I'm, I'm a music historian in many ways by trade. The courses that I teach here at Roosevelt University are undergraduate music history surveys and then a lot of graduate seminars, special topic seminars for grad students. Well, I, I was happy to talk with a musicologist. My wife's undergraduate degree was in musicology, and uh, not enough people know what the heck that is, so that, that's good to have uh, have you here? Uh, let, let's just get started with playing a, a quick out excerpt from a piece, and I thought we might start with the most well-known piece of music related to Abraham Lincoln. I think if you ask listeners, name something, name, name a musical piece about Lincoln, the majority would come up with Aaron Copland's Lincoln Portrait uh, from 1942. So uh, let's listen to uh, just a few minutes of it, uh, less than that maybe, just to get the flavor of it, and then uh, maybe we can discuss it a bit. Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. That is what he said. That is what Abraham Lincoln said. Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or the another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We, even we here, hold the power and bear the responsibility. Tom, what the heck does that have to do with Abraham Lincoln other than it's got his words in it? 
Well, that's that's certainly one of the big starting points, and I think for a lot of composers, that's one of the both a challenge and an opportunity when you're approaching Lincoln from the perspective of music and wanting to create an artistic piece that deals with Lincoln. He was an author, and so we have speeches and texts, and composers are often looking for for textual material with which to build composition. But there's also the the sort of balance point of, in our memory, we Americans that think of Lincoln and talk of Lincoln talk about his abilities as a speaker, as a great orator. And so often when you find compositions that are going to be textual compositions, songs, operas, musical theater, um, even orchestral works that are going to include text, the text is sung. And one thing that really stands out when you hear a Lincoln portrait performed is that you hear someone speaking Lincoln's words, and that's sort of become a, a main draw to this composition is it's often an opportunity to get a famous TV star, a local personality, a political figure to join the orchestra on stage to read the words of Lincoln. So that's that's something of the composition that I think is important to understand because it comes up again and again in these compositions is that if Lincoln's words are a part of the work, then we need to decide is the composer going to is the performer going to speak them? Will they sing them? Will the composition reference Lincoln's words? In the case of Aaron Copeland's Lincoln portrait, Copeland actually sort of cuts and pastes a lots of Lincoln moments. It's not a single setting. We have compositions that simply present the Gettysburg Address or the Second Inaugural. A Lincoln portrait, Copeland is being very, very careful in his selection, and he's doing it um, in a way that puts forward his own political views. It's a composition that, in my dissertation, I had to deal with at least up front, since it is, as you mentioned, the one that most people recognize as a Lincoln composition that sur- that survives in the concert repertoire. But then I was Tom, able to... I'm going to step in. We're going to have to take a short break and have a station play an announcement or two, but we'll come back and, and pick up this thought of, of Copeland, his political views, and, and where this fits into the musical Lincoln pantheon. We're talking today with Thomas Kernan. He's the author of uh, the award-winning dissertation, make sure I get the title right, Sounding the Mystic Chords of Memory, Music Memorial, Musical Memorials for Abraham Lincoln, 1865 to 2009. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. Talking today with Tom Kernan, author of Sounding the Mystic Chords of Memory, Musical Memorials for Abraham Lincoln, 1865 to 2009. It is the doctoral dissertation that won this year's Hay Nicolay Prize from the Abraham Lincoln Association for the best such piece written about uh, Abraham Lincoln or connected to the Lincoln era. And uh, it is available online. I'll give a a website for that later for those who want to follow up on this. But in our first segment, we talked uh, a little bit about the most famous Lincoln musical tribute, the uh, Aaron Copeland's A Lincoln Portrait from 1942. And Tom, you started to mention that the uh, A Lincoln Portrait tells us uh, a certain amount about Aaron Copeland's own political values and, and reflects uh, his views in the era in which he, he composed it as much as it does about Abraham Lincoln. It does indeed. Since it's uh, composed in 1942, a World War II era composition, we expect all of the all of the ideas and musical highlights of American musical nationalism, and we certainly get that simply by having Lincoln present in the title and having Lincoln's words in the text. But Copeland was a popular front composer, uh, and he had all of these socialist sympathies. And so the way that he cuts and pastes Lincoln's text point us more toward a Lincoln who's concerned with sort of a, a proletariat identity. Um, in some ways, for my work, Copeland's is the great oddity in this repertoire. Um, it's the piece that's stayed around, that's been a part of the concert canon. I certainly don't think that most concert audiences in Copeland's time, and assuredly not today, hear a Lincoln portrait performed at a Fourth of July concert and think, oh, that's the popular front Lincoln piece. I think that Lincoln's text, the, the beautiful musical setting, we tend to associate it simply as a great American concert work, and that makes it really different from many of the pieces that I was looking at that were sort of momentary pieces that were popular for a year, if that, that spoke to little moments in American history. Copeland is odd because it's hung around so long, and I think it has to do with Copeland's popularity broadly and a general sense of what Americans wanted to hear in terms of musical style in the concert hall. Well, you, you uh, mentioned some other examples and, and 
you mentioned numerous examples, of course, in, in your work. Uh, you and I were corresponding. You sent me a link to a, a piece by Robert Russell Bennett from 1927, Abraham Lincoln, a likeness in symphony form. And uh, listeners who are interested uh, can go to YouTube and find this. Look for uh, Robert Russell Bennett, and you'll will come across it. YouTube defeated me with its security measures from downloading uh, a, a clip from that piece, but it may be just as well because it's it's just uh, orchestral music. Uh, the beginning sounded to me vaguely like the overture to A Midsummer Night's Dream, and then turned into something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And and. Uh, uh, if you played it blindly for someone said, guess who that's about, uh, I don't know that many people would would figure out that it was Lincoln, and certainly it doesn't get played much uh, today. Now, in terms of ephemeral Lincoln music, the first great outbreak of this uh, occurs with his funeral, and, and you write extensively about the role that music played in the funeral. That's not something that historians have written a great deal about, partly because and the music wafts through the air and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you track? How, how did you track down what got played, where, and when? Um, there were a few ways to go about it. One, simply going through some of the some of the period press accounts. Though, as you can probably imagine, with the volume of activity uh, at each of the funeral stops, it was more common in press accounts simply to say a band played a march or. Uh, a brass group played a dirge. So there were often sort of vague references that gave a sense of music being performed there, but not specific titles. When I did a volume of archival research at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library, I started to get some some very clear and helpful connections with some of the pieces, some of the composers who I knew were active and were at least promoting that they had composed music for Lincoln's funeral. Um, though that that alone was also something that I had to weigh because 19th century sheet music it was it was a pretty wild place and there were a lot of composers who wanted to attach their song title to Lincoln's funeral even if there was no shot that it was ever performed there so it really took a, a variety of methodological items to piece together what composers were saying what actually appeared in press accounts and then in some cases um, one of the projects that I'm working on now uh, two compositions that I'm quite fascinated in. The actual band cards from the Springfield funeral uh, survive in the collection at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library. Hmm. Now, one of the pieces that you say was played uh, is composed by George F. Root, who uh, listeners will recognize uh, as one of the the more well-known composers of the Civil War era. Absolutely. And uh, his piece, Farewell, Father, Friend, and Guardian, from 1865, uh, is one that you, uh, you had recorded by a student choir. Uh, and that's the uh, recording that we have here. I'm, we'll play just a little uh, snippet of that, uh, and maybe you can tell us more about this piece uh, by George F. Root. Oh, 
so where did you find this piece, and what uh, what does what does it tell us about the funeral uh, services? It, it tells us a variety of different things. As you mentioned, George F. Root was sort of a, a, a wonderful figure in being able to capture the mood of the war, not only year to year or month to month, but in some cases day to day and week to week and sort of turn little topics around that would come up in the press into a popular song. Um, so he already had, by 1865, this vast library of music about Lincoln, music about the Civil War, the soldier experience, the experience at home. And when Lincoln dies, he is incredibly quick at coming up with his composition and is able to have it programmed to be performed at the Chicago funeral. And it's widely liked at that performance and is used again a few days later down in Springfield for Lincoln's burial. The song itself, the composition, is really similar to a lot of 19th century sheet music compositions and lots of uh, Root's other vocal music compositions in that it's quite simple. It's not a overly complex melody. The, the harmonic writing is sort of simple hymnody so that a group could take that piece of sheet music home with them and sit it at the piano and get the family together and sing through um, the nice four-part chorus. The lyrics that Root sets are really telling and that they pick up all of these little threads of the time that are ways people are trying to process the assassination and what this means and who Lincoln is, that the opening stanza, all our land is draped in mourning, hearts are bowed, strong men weep, um, refers to Lincoln being fallen by a traitor's hand. It, it sort of ties together all of these little thoughts and concerns of that time, the long and bloody struggle. Um, Root did a great job of just capturing that this was not just about Lincoln. It was not just funerary music, but it was about a specific leader who was already taking on monumental proportions in the American mind and was coming directly out of the Civil War. And so he sort of ties all of those themes together. I thought it was interesting that as much as the North, uh, led by George F. Root, dominates the composition of Civil War songs uh, with, with pieces like Battle Cry of Freedom and uh, you know, Tenting Tonight and, and Tramp, 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 and, and mm -hmm. so on, after the war, uh, you point out that the, the South musically seems to win the Reconstruction. The Lost Cause uh, replaces the Lincoln theme for a number of years. It does indeed. And I think a part of that speaks to uh, how composers go about the compositional process, at least composers in the later latter half of the 19th century. Um, but I think even more broadly, how some of the themes that we see in musical memorialization across centuries, that composers tend to go for large-scale topics. They tend to go for ideas that people can already latch on to. Um, it's, it's kind of difficult if you think about having, especially when we get to the larger genres, the long art song cycles and the symphonies and the operas, it's hard to have to teach everyone every little detail. So composers tend to latch on to themes and ideas that have already picked up some popular steam. And, and the Lost Cause had picked up that popular steam and composers were able to work with that in a way that, um, that was compelling.
So, and this was in 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 vernacular music and popular music, or in in art music, or or both in the nineteenth century. In in both, and that's something that I really have, am trying to draw a lot of attention to in this study, is that we often tend, at least as music scholars, to either look at popular song, look at vernacular music making, or we look at art song. And if we use that traditional divide that in many ways is ingrained in the courses that we teach and the books that we write, it's it's so common to deal with one or the other. If we deal with one or the other in this Lincoln repertory, we we don't quite understand uh, first how pervasive Lincoln was in the culture, and we seem to miss some of these uh, themes that go back and forth between the vernacular music making and the concert music making as one of the genres or areas grows in popularity and another recedes, and and that ebb and flow is always a, a constant part of American life. I, I opened, if I could just jump back for a moment, sure. opening the dissertation, I point out that the leading 19th century voice on American music, John Sullivan Dwight, who mm-hmm. is sort of a, a go-to person at any moment that you want to know what's going on in America's musical life, I, I thought when I started the project that I would be able to turn to him and get the answer to the question of what was being performed at Lincoln's funeral, because assuredly, John Sullivan Dwight would tell us all about it. He told us about everything. Um, and his, his commentary on the Lincoln funeral and the music making was that the nation fell silent. And it struck me after I read that and, and started looking through page after page in the same issues of his magazine, his weekly magazine, where he talks about the nation falling silent. He was running advertisements for sheet music, for memorial compositions for Lincoln. Um, and in his mind, he just saw the world in that divide. He paid attention to concert life. He didn't pay attention to what was going on in the local church, what a band was playing, what sheet music was being produced. So I, I'm really trying in this work to draw both sides together. We have to pay attention to popular song. We also have to pay attention to symphonies and cantatas and, and every form of music making, because that's, that's how most audiences listen to music. We don't, we don't tend to have as firm of a divide as the, the scholarly community has long had. This, this goes a little outside what you're writing, but I'm curious to ask your thoughts on it. Uh, in addition to the two legs of the stool, the art music and the, the popular music, uh, a third one is, is folk music, uh, music mm-hmm. that's not commercial at all, but is simply mm-hmm. uh, played and transmitted. Uh, I, the, the person who tipped me off about your, your article in the Tribune is an old fiddle-playing uh, friend of mine, and uh, we will sometimes uh, play it at a Appalachian fiddle tune called Booth Shot Lincoln, which mm-hmm. presumably comes out somewhere in that era. Um, there are not a lot of tunes, of, of, of folk tunes, of fiddle tunes based on uh, Civil War themes, but but there are some, and, and there are very few, I guess, but some that refer to Lincoln or refer to that. Uh, did you see anything in folk music in this era? So that's that's an area that I started exploring, and I certainly need to do more work, as as you probably know just from your interest in the area. One of the challenges with folk music tradition is because it's not marketed. It's easy to track 
the activity of George F. Root because he publishes everything. He sells everything. Um, similarly, it's often easy to track the activity of art music composers because even if they fail to get a publication or fail to get a performance, they keep detailed notes and materials end up in collections of composers' papers. The folk music tradition, by its very nature, is largely an orally-based tradition. And so there are themes and topics that come up there that really interest me. The, the Booth shot Lincoln is sort of a, a perfect one, because by and large, Booth seems to fall out of this repertoire for a very long period of time, and then only recently come back into the musical works or around Lincoln. So his, his inclusion um, through the 19th century in folk song is, is something that I find fascinating, but by way of method, it's a challenge. It, it, it is, and it, it lets people make up all kinds of uh, creative stories, but as mm-hmm. a historian, it, it's, it's, it can be very frustrating to track that down. Um, in our next segment, we'll take a break in just a minute or two, uh, but in our next segment, I want to get back to that that question about uh, uh, about Booth and talk about some of the other figures who appear in the the Lincoln uh, works or, or figures other than Abraham Lincoln who appear in these works. Uh, one of the themes that you talk about uh, in, in a chapter is the role of Lincoln in the in the 20th century. Composers take bits and pieces of Lincoln, uh, you argue, and and instead of presenting us the whole man, uh, each finds some piece. We've already talked about how uh, Aaron Copeland has a particular Lincoln who fits his uh, political views of the mid-20th century. Uh, so we'll, we'll step away for a minute, but I want to leave you with this thought you can think about uh, uh, answering uh, where Lincoln fits into the, the civil rights era, the post-World War II era, how composers uh, deal with him, both popular and, and art uh, composers deal with him in that time. So we'll take a short break. We'll come back. We're talking today with Thomas Kernan. He's the author of catch my breath. Author of Sounding the Mystic Chords of Memory: Musical Memorials for Abraham Lincoln, 1865 to 2009. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Tom Kernan, author of Sounding the Mystic Chords of Memory, Musical Memorials for Abraham Lincoln, 1865 to 2009. Uh, we talked about some of the uh, most famous pieces, such as A Lincoln Portrait by Aaron Copeland. Talked about some of the funeral music composed at the time of Lincoln's death. Uh, Tom, one thing I found interesting in what you've written here is the contrast between the popularity of Lincoln before and during World War II as a representative of American nationalism, of, of many the good things in uh, America and how Americans see themselves, the, the, the rise up of the little guy, uh, the, the uh, uh, very, various positive moral traits associated with Abraham Lincoln. During the civil rights era that follows World War II, it seems like Lincoln doesn't play the same leading role one might expect him to play, uh, certainly in in, in, in general uh, iconography. What about in music? Do we, did you find a lot of uses of the Lincoln name or image? Uh, there's, there's an interesting aspect that uh, I discussed that comes up in the civil rights movement, um, and it's something that I... I I've had to spend a fair amount of time really thinking through what this meant. Um, and the way I discuss it and describe it is the use of Lincoln as a venue. When we think about a number of important civil rights events and civil rights events that included musical performance, the Lincoln Memorial is often the place. Abraham Lincoln is sitting there in marble in the background with performance in front um, Notably, in, in 1939, when Marian Anderson offers an Easter Sunday concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial after being shut out, her promoter had tried to arrange for her to do a performance in the in Constitution Hall and the DAR Constitution Hall in Washington D.C. And because of a, a white artist-only policy, she was not able to secure that venue. And with the the work of Eleanor Roosevelt and a variety of supporters from Howard University and others, she secures the Lincoln Memorial as a concert venue. And if we think then about Lincoln always being there, again, as a background figure, he's not being discussed in the musical compositions for the most part. He's not, it's not mentioning his speeches or writings as we saw in Aaron Copeland, but he's assuredly present. As as a music scholar, we spend a lot of time paying attention to venue. It makes a difference when you go to see an opera, if you're really cold in the opera hall, or if it's a beautiful space, or if the chair is comfortable. Venue really matters in how we receive any performance, and certainly how we receive political messages. So that string of civil rights 
uh, marches, certainly the, the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom is important. The, also in 1963, the Emancipation Proclamation uh, Centennial performance, that was something that I think we saw not only the venue, but also a notable composition where Lincoln is sort of reconsidered in a very dramatic way. Um, I, I wrote about Ulysses K., an African-American composer who uh, is commissioned to write a piece for the Emancipation Proclamation Centennial, and he composes a piece that he titles A Lincoln Chronicle. And for historians, when we, when we hear a term like chronicle, we tend to think that we're, we're going to see a chronicle, and we don't. Mm-hmm. K, K sort of rewrites Lincoln's life so that he takes us from his childhood through the war years, but instead of ending with the assassination, death, or memorialization, his final movement is the Emancipation Proclamation. So it certainly makes sense for the setting that he was commissioned to write for, but it also had all of the musical markings of a statement saying that Lincoln's legacy was entirely tied to emancipation. It, it was a quite dramatic compositional turn. We see Lincoln, I guess, in, in popular song in that era, not not very frequently. Uh, but again, in in the song, uh, most listeners to this show are my age or older uh, will remember the '60s. Uh, although supposedly, if you can remember the '60s, you were not actually there. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, we were children then, so it's okay. Um, uh, but the song Abraham, Martin, and John that expl- explicitly ties Lincoln to the, the civil rights uh, movement of, of Martin Luther King. Uh, and you comment briefly on that uh, as well, I believe. I do, I do. That's that's one of the items I mentioned earlier that composers are not usually going to dig into the farthest reaches of biography. They're not going to try to stretch into some distant tidbit that might seem obscure to audiences. They're often dealing with topics about which people are already familiar or already thinking. So whenever there's an assassination, Lincoln music seems to come back to the fore. I, I write a little bit about the, the McKinley assassination and the Garfield assassination and the connections that are made to Lincoln and some of the music around those funerals. But in terms of a, a popular composition that really does extraordinarily well and has been recorded and performed fairly consistently since then, Abraham, Martin, and John is, is about as good as it gets. It, it captures the notion of Lincoln's death being directly tied to both Kennedy brothers, Robert, Bobby Kennedy comes in mm-hmm. in the final stanza, um, mm-hmm. as well as to Martin Luther King and making that connection to, from Lincoln to the civil rights era is, is quite clear in, in Dion's work. Now, speaking of assassinations, it uh, brings us to the last musical selection. Uh, this is from uh, Stephen Sondheim's work, Assassins, from 1990. Uh, and here's a, a little piece of a song called The Ballad of Booth, uh, two little snippets of it edited together. Uh, So let's go ahead and hear that, and I want to ask you about this piece. Someone tell the story Someone sing the song Every now and then the country Goes a little wrong 
every now and then a madman's bound to come along Doesn't stop the story Story's pretty strong Doesn't change the song Johnny Booth was a handsome devil Got up in his rings and fancy silks Had him a temper but kept it level Everybody called him Wilkes Why did you do it, Johnny? Nobody agrees You, you threw the U out of USA He said, hunt me down, smear my name Say I did it for the fame What I did was kill the man who killed my country Now the Southland will mend Now this bloody war can end Because someone slew the tyrant Just as Brutus slew the tyrant He said, damn you, Lincoln, you righteous whore You turned your spite into civil war And more Now the end doesn't mean that it's over Our surrender is not the end so there we hear a, a mix of a the ballad singer uh, singing about Booth and then Booth's voice uh, himself explaining why he did what he did. This musical was just performed last weekend here on campus at East Carolina University, and uh, I have to admit I did not go to see it. I'm not a big John Wilkes Booth fan, to be honest, uh, <laughs> and, and so I uh, it didn't draw my interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having having now heard this uh, uh, preparation for our discussion tonight, I'm still not a big John Wilkes Booth fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, where I'm still speechless uh, that we have a musical about assassins. Uh, what where does this fit into the tradition? Sure. So in, in, in one point that's uh, important to recall is that this is very late in terms of the musical tradition that I'm considering. The, the mm-hmm. musical is written in 1990, gets uh, its premiere in 1991, so it is based on some material that Sondheim was presented with a few years earlier. So it's something that he mulled over for a little while. The Booth, as I mentioned earlier, had sort of fallen out of a lot of the Lincoln musical narrative. Um, and then all of a sudden he pops back up in Sondheim, and he's in recent years popped up in a number of works. A project that I'm working on now is really looking at all of these Booth portrayals because the, the proliferation of Booth topics is something that I've simply found surprising. Um, in terms of what Sondheim and John Weidman, his collaborator on the book, are are doing here, I think is interesting on two levels. One, your overall question about assassins generally. What's the, the interest there? What's the narrative that can be told? What's the value of that type of composition? The other is then the practical of how you actually write a musical with a group of assassins and have it taken seriously and have a way and an ability to say something to your audience, to convey some sort of message your idea. In terms of the, the starting point, that larger question, I think there is, if we think about musical theater, there often is a desire to have works that have the sensational. 
um, and have the sensational in a way that audiences are going to feel like they can recognize a theme, but often, at least in the latter half of the 20th century, the composer wants to create some sort of problem around the theme, the, the hook that really gets the audience thinking and, and trying to figure out how to make sense out of all of this. So Assassins simply on its face does that. If we think about the American Assassins, they have been a, a quite wild and colorful group with all of their idiosyncrasies and all of... Um, the small details that can be tied in that make them seem at, at moments crazy, at moments very um, thoughtful and methodical, and at moments part of grand conspiracies, at moments sort of lone wolf figures. So all of that simply makes for interesting, compelling musical theater. The, the practicality of then how you actually use that to say something, to craft a compelling message to your audience, is where I think Sondheim and Weidman actually accomplish something um, and accomplish something important in this composition. The Booth character is treated better than any of the others. He is treated as the person that's taken seriously. All of the other assassins are dismissed, um, often through a series of comic uh, events. Or we sort of see them as complete fools. Booth is not mocked anywhere near the way the other assassins are. And so it drives home what's often sort of a lingering historical point that we need to reconcile Booth in historical narratives. That's not to say that America is responsible for crafting Booth, but it is to say that you can't have a narrative with a president and his hitman and talk all about one and not about the other and figure out what the narrative is that puts these two people in the same place at the same time in a way that their lives collide and, and end up with the president dead. So the the use of Booth and Lincoln as sort of almost two sides of a coin in this musical, I think does a better job than many of the Booth compositions in forcing that question. The I worked for a number of years at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, now sadly uh, mm-hmm. closed. One, when we were planning to build a new permanent exhibit back in the 1990s, we did a straw poll of our visitors asking what segment of the Lincoln story should uh, should we tell or should we focus on or or should we include at least uh, since there are many areas to include mm-hmm. and it was quite striking that the assassination was by far the most popular the one the public had the most interest in and we uh, from a historical viewpoint rebelled against that the, the Lincoln mm-hmm. Uh, isn't and ought not to be remembered for the manner of his death uh, as much as for what he did while he was uh, alive. But there's no denying that 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 is hugely uh, popular and interesting to the public. And, uh, you know, Sondheim certainly uh, was on to something there. Well, we have just a a minute or so left, but so this will be an unfair question in the last uh, 45 seconds. Uh, Did did any piece emerge as a a favorite of yours or one you still want to listen to, even after writing in, in detail about it? Uh, the the Roy Harris compositions. Roy Harris, uh, an American composer who 
hammed up every aspect of his connection to Lincoln. He was born on Lincoln's birthday in Lincoln County in the Oklahoma Territory. Uh, he had a lifelong fascination with Lincoln and returned to him again and again, wrote his sixth symphony that he subtitled the Gettysburg Symphony, the tenth symphony that he subtitled the Lincoln Symphony, his fourteenth and final symphony that he draws together Lincoln in a civil rights narrative. He is constantly in works returning to Lincoln again and again, and so I'm fascinated by that, that a single composer just wants to go back and explore over and over again what Lincoln can look like in music. Well, there's much to explore in this thesis. Uh, just very quickly, in, in 10 seconds, what is the website where viewers can find uh, your dissertation? Uh, Ohio Link is the Ohio Consortium of Universities that has the dissertation published. It has a long, unique number that I don't have off the top of my head. But if you go to the Ohio Link website and look for uh, Mystic Chords of Memory, you will find the dissertation. And uh, you can get it there in PDF form and read it online, print it out if you want. Uh, a fascinating piece. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for being with us and talking about it this evening. And Jerry, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. <laughs>